Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Let me stop. This has happened. Society or just my unconscious, my emotions tell me I should be disappointed. I should express that disappointment in the form of some kind of cynicism, anger, you know, I'm going to verbally express my disdain, whatever. But you know what? You could also not be angry. You could be sad. You could be happy. You could be okay with it. You could be neutral. You could be spacious. You could be conscious. You could be loving. You could be somehow you could find some delight in the disappointing situation. And that's where we really move into self-agency and power that you can be a higher vibration no matter what is going on outside of you, no matter what the statistics are or the odds or the feelings or circumstances of imprisonment, oppression, loss, that you have the strength to abide in a higher frequency. That higher frequency is love. And I think the whole, the whole journey that we're on is to just keep getting aligned with that intelligence of the heart. This happened? Okay, well, I'm going to choose this response. Choice, choice, choice. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Danielle, welcome back to The Unmistakable Creative. I'm so happy to be here because I know that you read the book. <laughs> well, I read everybody's books. And of course, I read yeah. yours. Um, you have a new book out called How to Be Loving, obviously, which we'll talk about. But having been a guest before, you know that is not where we're going to start. And the funny thing is, I was trying to think of all the various questions that I've asked you since you are literally the most frequently appeared guest on The Unmistakable <laughs> Creative. This might be your sixth time on our show. Um, yeah, I don't think anybody's had as many appearances as you have. So I was thinking back to this and I was like, well, I kind of know the answer to this question. I just don't know the rest of the answer to this question. And you told me this in the interview that we did at Creative Live, but we never really got that deep into it. So I wanted to start by asking you, what birth order were you and what impact did that end up having on your life and the choices that you've made with it? I am number one. I will always be number one because I'm an only child. I remember. That's why I asked the question. Yeah. Only child and uh, shotgun wedding. So my my mom got pregnant in high school and dropped out of high school as a result. And I was a toddler going to college with my mom so that she could get her BA in psychology. Mm. So I found that I have two types of friends who are only children. And there are those that I think are selfish. They don't realize they're selfish, but they're selfish in really small ways. Like they don't show up to anything on time. The world kind of centers around them when it comes to these kinds of small things. And then I have other friends who for them, their their friends are like their siblings. So I wonder, uh, being an own child, how did that affect your own social relationships as a child? What? Oh, as a child, how did it affect my relationships? Well, I can tell you how it affected one marriage that I was in where I used to like just make snacks for myself and walk into the living room. <laughs> and my then husband would say, like, didn't you make some peanut butter and toast for me? And I was like, oh, I just... <laughs> 
right. Okay. And I go back into the kitchen. Um, how did it affect me as a child? I was, a, I will, I was a leader as a kid. I don't know if that had anything to do with me being an only child. I think it just had to do with, I was like this natural communicator. I was making little books. I wanted to, I wanted to get up in class and I wanted to talk. And I was also kind of giving counseling at recess to people. It's like, you should go kiss her or, you know, you should, I think <laughs> you don't look too good. You should go home. Um, I, wait, how old were you when this was all happening? Because I'm trying to like imagine like this little Danielle Laporte, like, you know, holding court under a tree at recess. Yeah. Yeah. That's young. That's like great too. That's plus, you know, wow. I was also deeply, a deeply spiritual kid. Like I had, I'd converted my Barbie doll house into like a little religious monastery. There was, I had rosaries in there and, and I just, I wanted, I wanted to grow up and marry Jesus. I was so fascinated and moved by the whole Catholic ritual, all of it. Um, how did being only a child affect that? I don't, I don't know. I've always felt, um, on the outside, I always felt like this wasn't my home. Like my, um, Leanne Rhymes, who I'm blessed is a friend of mine. She just released a, a song this week called Spaceship. The album is called God's Work. And she talks about like, come and get me. I don't think this is where I'm from. And I felt that. And I think being an only child contributed to that mm. outsider feeling. So you mentioned the marriage. What about in your social relationships? How has it affected those throughout your life? I don't know. I don't know. I can just say like this, because I, I think it's it's one data point. You know, it's like there's so many other data points that inform how we show up in the world and relational dynamics. So it's like, I'm an only child. I was raised uh, kind of Catholic by very young parents. I have four planets in Virgo. I have a Gemini sun. I was raised in a Canadian identity. I mean, there's all of these, you know, I think there's this foundational blueprint that we incarnate with that is um, going to be abiding. And then I think there's all of these cultural um, impressions and programming and uh, conditionings that we're given. And that is highly influential until we wake up and go, wait, you know, I don't have to be this in relationship. I don't have to be what my parents said I was or what my nationality said I am. And, you know, like a good example for this for me was the label of introvert. You know, I could take any personality test and I would skew heavily, like I'd be on the high spectrum of introvert, which has actually has changed over the years. And I realized that that label was holding me back. I could, I was noticing that I'd want to be social. And I think, yeah, but I'm an introvert. Or maybe I shouldn't go to that party because introverts don't want to go to parties. We complain all the time about, <laughs> I don't want to go. You know, I want to go. And then we get there and we, just end up sitting in the corner talking to one person in depth all night. Um, and I could see how that was holding me back. I could also see how, you know, being um, an XYZ or an INFJ or whatever the personality test was, it wasn't actually helping me live a more meaningful, purposeful life. It's like, Kind of my, my ego got off and like, oh yeah, I am so that way. Like who doesn't want, you know, we all love to talk about ourselves in, in some degree or to be noticed or attended to, but I don't think it's helped me get closer to God or to make a deeper contribution to the collective. So I'm, I'm, I'm really letting go a lot of the labels. Speaking of labels, I mean, I think I remember writing in my first book, uh, Unmistakable, that labels limit our capacity. And when we can let go of them, we can transcend the limitations of what we think is possible within the context of a label. But I don't ever think I actually talked about how to let go of the label. Um, mm. How do you start to disconnect yourself from a label that you have identified with, particularly some things that you've identified so deeply with your entire life? As always, great question. You let go of the label by not focusing on the label. You can't let go of something that you've got your attention on. It's like you just, the grip, the grip actually tightens 
And this is especially true of ephemeral things like emotions and patterning in the psyche and I, you know, and I, identity labels. So instead of focusing on only child, Virgo, INFJ, what my dad said about me, my job title, nationality, all these things, you focus on your true identity, which is really actually what my new book, How to Be Loving, is all about. It's about right identity, truthful, correct identity, which is that you are so much more than all of those labels. You are, you're more than your desires, by the way. You're more than your feelings and your emotions. You're definitely, I think most people can wrap their head around this one. You are definitely more than your history and your past. You are, to use Ram Dass's phrase, you are a spiritual being having a human experience. So your true nature is pure energy, consciousness, life force beyond all of this. And my experience, and this is also, you know, baked into so much mystical teaching, is that when you just attend to that, when you put your focus on that, then the other stuff starts to melt away. But you can't, uh, I mean, this is even basic manifestation, right? It's like, if you want to lose the weight or get stronger, you don't focus on how fat or weak you are. You focus on optimizing your health. And using thoughts, running thoughts through your system around your strength and your vitality. The, the goal itself is, is radiant. Hmm. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. 
Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Wow. So... <laughs> One thing I, I wanted to ask you about, we're talking that, you know, you alluded to conditioning and culture. And I just, you mentioned the fact that I'd spent the entire summer in another country, Gertzanadian, and now I'm conducting this interview in the United States. And it just made me wonder, when you look at cultural conditioning uh, in comparison to you know, America and Canada, what do you see as the differences in terms of the way people are culturally conditioned in the United States and then how that affects their adult lives versus Canada? Never been asked this before. Well, I've actually do that to people. <laughs> yes, this is a grid. I always love our conversations. Um, I feel somewhat qualified to answer this question because I grew up on a border city. So I grew up in Windsor, Ontario, and it was just a 10 minute ride across the Ambassador Bridge to Detroit, Michigan. And when you grow up in that situation, for me at least, uh, I grew up feeling kind of half American. And then I moved to the West Coast of Canada, and I was immediately struck by how um, Canadian everybody felt. I was like, wow, you ingest Canadian media. You're listening to and watching the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. And there's a little bit of a, you know, more of a lilt, a Canadian accent here. Um, this is what I've noticed the differences to be. And, uh, and let me preface this by saying the more we focus on these differences, um, in a negative way, the more divided we become. So I've learned to just see these differences as, as like, these are just like unique personality attributes that don't apply to everybody. And we should really focus on how we are the same, but celebrating those, um, traits. Canadians are way more informed about Americans than Americans are about Canadians. <laughs> Yeah, I think the rest of the world is way more informed about Americans than we are about anybody else. Yeah. And, you know, the times I was asked, you know, who our president was, and I had to say, well, actually, we have a prime minister. And there does seem to be an an American attitude that America is unquestionably, and this is the operative word here, unquestionably, the best place in the world to live. <laughs> and everything is worth questioning. Everything is worth questioning. Canadians, um, you know, we are, you know, there's truth in every stereotype. So, you know, stereotypically, we're very apologetic and have good, you know, we're, um, there's good manners. There's kind of a well-natured uh, way we have about us. That's proof, you know, I've traveled, I've been to a lot of countries and, as a Canadian, like I would make sure when my kid and I traveled anywhere, backpacking, rolly, whatever we had, we always made sure um, either we had a Canadian patch on our backpacks or we were very quick in any cafe to say, oh, we're from Vancouver. <laughs> and you could see there would be a shift. There would be a shift because we do tend to be a little more soft-spoken. Uh, less boisterous. Um, but where this gets us, and I think, and I'm really interested in this layer, which is what I see happening, what I believe is happening on a global scale is that the collective shadow is coming out and all this polarization and this divisiveness. And Canada, who has been, you know, really this kind of darling country in terms of its progressiveness, and it's socialism, et cetera. And there are many great things about living here. Many, many, many. And I'm glad to be here for the moment. Um, but our darkness is coming out. And uh, it's shocking to a lot of us here. It's shocking to a lot of my friends. They cannot believe what's gone down in this country. 
in the last couple of years. And I'm really excited actually by that, that underbelly being turned over, say, ah, oh, okay, what's really going on under here? It's like, you know, when you get into the whole conversation around race relations in America, which is so, you know, so obviously inflamed and in need of attention, every Canadian is there to say, oh yeah, I mean, race in America, what a mess. And yet here we are with actual bodies of children um, from indigenous schools, reservation schools, really just prisons for children being exhumed. And, you know, people waking up to the fact that our past has some, some brutal, shameful darkness in it. And it's time to really reckon with that. So, uh, it's time for us to, uh, use our, to, the good manners, I think, need to, kind of go down on the list of our key characteristics. And we really need to look at, at the darkness in this nation. You know, it, it's funny that you say that about Canada, because I think that I also noticed that going back to Brazil, coincidentally, it was all, it's also an election year right now in Brazil. And their current president has basically been incredibly polarizing and to the point where one of the sandwich shop owners told us, he was like, it's a good thing you guys aren't going to be here on September 7th. I, which I, I believe was, if I remember correctly, Brazilian Independence Day. Somebody may have to fact check that, but they're like 500,000 Bolsonaro supporters will be on Copacabana Beach. And it's the guy was like, we're going to close our store that day. Um, the other thing I think that I found really fascinating, uh, my roommate Tim and I were talking about sort of, you know, how media influences behavior there and, and, and just in general. And when you look at advertising in the United States or you look at sort of marketing in the United States, it's extremely hyped up. Whereas, in Brazil, everything was so literal, like, for example, like water, right? Like you buy a bottle of water in the United States, it's basically hyped up to no end. And there it's like, this is water with gas. This is water without gas. That's literally it. They're very literal about certain things, which is really interesting. It's like, rather than hype it up, I mean, don't get me wrong. They have plenty of their own version of that too. But um, that really struck me as how literal everything was in every place we went in South America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, striking. Well, let's get into the book. Uh, first off, what prompted this book? Uh, you know, what was the impetus for writing over? Because, I mean, you write a book every three or four years, and even this, the, the opening of this book struck me because you say, on my most recent year-in-review exercise, I seriously considered walking away from my creative life, which I tend to reconsider every few years. I had this romantic notion of meditating all morning in my apartment, growing potatoes on my deck for neighbors, wearing white pe- peasant blouses, and never checking my Instagram again. And I'm like, that sounds like the impetus for all of your books. <laughs> <laughs> um this is my first book in five years. I feel like, well, I know that the book I ended up with is not the book I set out to write. This book, by the way, creative side note, unmistakable creative side note. Um, this book was really hard to write during the time that I wrote it. The world was really starting to fall apart. I felt I'd never been so distracted and it was, it was intense. Uh, it began, the seed of this was, this was the evolution of the desire map, which, you know, is what I'm known for. It's like three, I think moving on to 400,000 people now. I've been through the, the desire map book and process. And when you, you know, a publisher wants a sequel. And I went to them and said, yeah, I want to do desire map 2.0 and let's get deeper into feelings and emotions. But, but all based on the truth that I had evolved, that desire had evolved for me. There was a different conversation I wanted to have around goal setting, which was, uh, it ain't what it cra- is cracked up to be. There's a more, truly more holistic approach. And, uh, as I was creating and pulling everything together, uh, I went deeper into now what's, you know, known in the, in the book as, having higher quality thoughts or loving thoughts and really what happens in the subconscious, the unconscious with feelings and emotions. And then I said, you know, I think this is really more about living a heart-centered life. This is about the results of being more reflective, which is self-acceptance, which is really where the revolution is. 
And so I'm going to call this heart-centered. Plus, you know, I have this heart-centered membership and I have this leadership program with hundreds of coaches around the world. This is heart-centered. It'd be good for the brand. And, um, and you know, as these things happened, just one morning, I was like, you know what? This is about how to be loving. And I love the game of publishing. Uh, so I got really excited to find out that howtobeloving.com was available for $2.99. <laughs> and, um, but it was just a very gentle awareness. And that awareness came also at a time where over the last couple of years, I've done some, uh, it's, it's fair to say some radical simplification in my life. And I was thinking to myself in terms of this content, um, you know, how, how simple can this be? And we got down to how to be loving. Hmm. Well, you open the book by saying spirituality is really just the practice of open-mindedness of intentionally not putting up blocks to life when we open our minds and we keep finding this incredible heart energy always pulsating for us, eternally patient, endlessly vibrant energy always pulsating for us, eternal. And then you say enlightenment is when the mind fans out so wide that it dissolves into unbounded loving awareness. Um, can you expand on that and, and explain what you mean by that? Because I think that you know, in a lot of ways, spirituality has been mixed up with sort of, yeah, new age nonsense that basically I think there's a sort mm. of correlation and causation mix up of spirituality. It's like, oh, spirituality means lighting scented candles and you know, meditating in mm. front of a shrine for hours on end every day. Mm-hmm. Which you can minus the scented candles. I, I think <laughs> where we're going is, I mean, this is very meta, right? Like, I think where we're headed enlightenment is really an enlightenment and spirituality it's um how do i break this down Let, let me continue this thought about enlightenment i think where we're headed eventually in many lifetimes ahead but perhaps in you know eons who knows impossible for the mind to conceive of is to move beyond feeling to move beyond mind and this is this is a state of beingness. This is presence. This is what most of us know in just fleeting micro experiences of you're not in your head. You're actually not cognitively cognitive of anything. You're just in a state of presence. You really tap your divine state, which is beyond time. It's beyond the constructs of thought. So I think that's the goal, not that you can have a goal to be enlightened. I don't think it comes that way. Um, But here we are in this dimension. We are thinking. We have minds. As long as you have a mind, you're going to think. That's the mind's job is to identify this, that, and the other. So that's what I mean when I say go beyond... um, whatever lovely thing I wrote that you read there about going beyond thought, going beyond the beyond, as the Buddhists would say. Um, so how about we just start here since we're all human? Uh, why don't we just choose higher quality thoughts that are based on love that help us more often be in a state of presence and being? And then maybe someday Maybe someday we hit enlightenment and we just be. But I think once you hit enlightenment, you're out of here. You don't have to do this duality thing. Yeah. Hmm. One of the things you say is when we live more reflectively, we operate less reactively. And the funny thing is, I think we're, as a society, in a constant state, constant state of operating reactively. I mean, just our day-to-day behavior. It's like, oh, let me check who, you know, commented on my latest Facebook post. Let me check my email. I mean, those are small versions of that. But then, you know, when you take that and put it on a much grander scale, it has serious consequences. So one, how did we get here? But more importantly, how do we get from a place of operating reactively to living more reflectively? This goes back to the use of the mind, right? So the mind is always dividing. This is wrong. This is right. I am safe. I am unsafe. I am me you are other. It's all super useful. 
But when we're not aware, I think when we're not heart-centered, which is where the real intelligence is, where we really become astute in energy, when we're not aware, then we're going to be reacting. Oh, this happened, so I should do this. And the important word there is I should do this. I should have a particular reaction to a particular situation. I think that we're trained. Um, we are, we're socially programmed on how to feel the most, most of what we feel. It's like something happens and we are conditioned that we should have a res- an angry or happy, pleased or displeased response to what happened. And then this is what anger looks like. But if you really drill down, um, you can look at all the disappointing things that happen and you can ask yourself, and this sounds so remedial, but some of the wisest things are, why are you angry? Why should you be angry? Who told you you should be angry? Where'd you learn to be angry? Did you see someone in a similar situation have an angry reaction? Did your parents, your family, your community, your teachers, did a movie teach you that, ah, oh, when someone disappoints you, you should be angry? Because there are a range of other responses uh, that are in contrast to those reactive responses, those reactions. And that range, playing that range of reactions is how we become whole, how we become more conscious. Like, let me stop. This has happened. Society or just my unconscious, my emotions tell me I should be disappointed. I should express that disappointment in the form of some kind of cynicism, anger. You know, I'm going to verbally express my disdain, whatever. But you know what? You could also not be angry. You could be sad. You could be happy. You could be okay with it. You could be neutral. You could be spacious. You could be conscious. You could be loving. You could be somehow you could find some delight in the disappointing situation. And that's where we really move into self-agency and power that I will be a higher vibration, you could say. That is what I'm saying. You can be a higher vibration no matter what is going on outside of you. And this is really the mastery that everybody who's interested in mastery is talking about. That no matter what the statistics are or the odds or the feelings uh, or circumstances of imprisonment, oppression, loss, that you have the strength to abide in a higher frequency, which I think is that higher frequency is love. And I think the whole the whole journey that we're on is to just keep getting aligned with that intelligence of the heart. This happened? Okay, well, I'm going to choose this response. Choice, choice, choice. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. <clears throat> One thing you say is that we can get trapped into the analysis merry-go-round. We keep looking at our present through the lens of our past. We walk through the world through our relationships, asking how is this a reflection of my past and of us to love? And you say, but there's a shadow side of correlating our past with our present life. We keep digging up what we've laid to rest. And when we do, we're re-energizing that old pattern. We're reinforcing mm -hmm. the old form. The retelling of those painful stories can hold us back from healing. So the question for me was, okay, I understand that. And simultaneously, we obviously want to learn from the mistakes that we've made in our past and the things that we've done wrong so we can avoid repeating them. So how do you do that while also letting it go or letting it you know, be laid to rest? I'm so glad you asked. I've been waiting for somebody to notice this in the book. Thank you. Um, therapy is great. Coaching is great. You shouldn't, you should Assess and deeply analyze your past, your family of origin stuff, the impacts it has had on you and how your behavior today is based on your past. Please do that. The world will be a better place and you will sleep better. And then you got to lay it to rest. You got to move on. The, the wounded self has a hard time conceiving of being healed. And then we keep in mind that what's the, what's the function of the mind to delineate, to separate, to distinguish. So the mind, the ego, the shadow is not going to want us to expand and heal. It's going to want us to be bounded, right? Don't be boundless. Don't be healed and free. Let's get, have all these guardrails and all these reasons. You shouldn't be over that. And my personal experience is, I'm really grateful. I'm immensely grateful. I think I owe a lot of my, my life, my happiness, my wellness to qualified, loving psychotherapists who helped me. I've had, I've had many. I've done so much therapy. I've been to so many workshops, you know, and I could see that there was this dangerous place after I, um, got through some stuff, you know, as therapy gets you through the stuff where it really is that land of potential navel gazing. And you love the attention that so, so much that's really genuine, heal, genuinely healing about therapy 
especially when most of us are going in to talk about our family stuff, is that you are getting ideally unconditional love. And that's, by the way, this is a side note on how to know you have a good therapist. I mean, you really need to feel that they are on your team, that they are your champion, which means they will coach you hard sometimes. You know, you'll get called on your stuff, but you'll also be held at your, you know, your most uh, fragile. Uh, but then you got to move on, brother, sister, mister. Like, uh, we all know, we all know, like, conceptually that this path is about not looking outside of ourselves for the answer. <laughs> and so then the press pause on the therapy and before you make an appointment, and that this applies for all the self-help stuff, you know, before you make another appointment, and let's just be clear. I said, like, go, therapy's great. Have your sessions. Go for years if you need to, but just experiment with before you make the next appointment or you call an astrologer or a shaman or you do another ayahuasca, any kind of trip or you do the thing, just be still with it for a couple of days and ask your soul, ask you, the whole of you for guidance and watch what happens. Hmm. You And it's a muscle. It's like, you learn how to use that telephone and it will be easier and easier to hear yourself. And you will, you know, what I witness is you'll need less therapy. You'll be less inclined and uh, you're going to save so much money. <laughs> well, it's funny because I literally, you know, you kind of teed up the, the next question uh, and comment on the book. There's this line where you say seeking truth as an intellectual pursuit can often get in the way of the truth itself. We collect so many philosophies and rituals along the way that end up that we end up having to toss most of it so we can hear ourselves think clearly, which is kind of hilarious considering you and I are talking about a book. People are listening to a podcast to some degree seeking truth. And it just reminded me of this moment when I walked into the self-help section of the Boulder bookstore when I was living there. I walked upstairs and I just kept browsing. I'm like, why the fuck do I feel like I've read every single book here and there's nothing mm. left here? I'm like, all right, mm. I think that's a sign. <laughs> so I mean, where do you, how do you get to this point where you finally say, okay, I can, st like, why, I mean, I think we, you and I have talked before about why people constantly seek truth outside of themselves. So I'm more interested in how do you get to that point where you stop? Well, I think first you have to define what wisdom is. And we all know people who aren't learned. They're not educated. They haven't traveled. They don't even necessarily have a lot of diverse life experience. And they're incredibly wise, incredibly wise. They give you the answer that soothes your nervous system. They give you the answer where you go, yeah, that's right. I got to I have to have the courage to do that. Um, and then I, you know, there's some hallmarks of wisdom, which this is how you know a wise decision from an unwise decision. A wise decision takes into consideration the benefit of everybody everybody involved, even the so-called enemy, the person you're voting against. Somehow everybody's needs are going to get addressed. Doesn't mean there isn't balancing the scales of justice, but wisdom includes everybody. Unwise is just looking out for you and a few other factions, you know? Um, so that's it. What? Sorry, go back to the nugget of the question. I guess the, the nugget of the question is like, how do you get to that place where you stop seeking truth as an intellectual pursuit outside of yourself? Yeah. You have to try it. You have to experiment with it. It's just like a diet. I mean, really you're going on a, an information diet mm -hmm. and, you know, and this has been the, the best fasting I've ever done. It's just like, I haven't, this isn't saying much. I, I will, I will say that much as well. It's like, I haven't watched the news. I haven't watched television for, I don't know, it's going on a decade now. And it's not saying much because I do ingest a lot of media through Instagram, right? So I get, I see the headlines, but I don't actively, you know, I was just in the dentist's office a couple of weeks and it's so unfortunate that they have televisions now on the ceiling. So you lean back in the chair and you're just being programmed by all this, you know, this media crap. And I'm just like, wow, this is all doom and gloom. If you believe the news, the humanity is awful. 
and nothing good ever happens and you're going to die soon. <laughs> like it's just, it's so bad. Um, so, uh, being more aware about what you're ingesting is how to build that muscle of inner referencing. And I think obviously, in addition to the news, it includes all the spiritual stuff. And my aha was, this was a couple summers ago, I came across this spiritual teacher that I just found. It was a, it was like his teachings were electrifying. And it was really one of these circumstances where, you know, the book kind of fell off the shelf for me. I was in this little town. I walk in the bookstore. The guy says, every book is um, under $5 today, the secondhand store. I walk to the back of the store. It's the first book I touch. I pull it out. The book price is $100. I go, is every book? You know, because why? Anyways, all this is to say, this is this really rare find. And uh, it was very esoterica stuff. And I was just eating it up. And I noticed it was making me anxious. Now, I think it's part of the energy that the material is transmitting, but it was a great beginning for me of going on a radical fast from uh, spiritual input. Mm. And I got it down to, there were a couple books, you know, I, I, I'm still very um, committed in uh, A Course in Miracles. I still love all of my Adya Shanti stuff, but I just like, that's it. I'm going to just stop for a while and just see what happens. And who knows? I'll probably possibly go on another binge of all kinds of things. But it's been about um it's been, been about two years now since I've sat down and read any spiritual text. It, it's funny that you say that because my dad turned 70 recently and my brother in law uh did just did this like brief video of him. It's on Instagram. You can find it. And I remember you asking like, I mean, the guy literally looks like he's 50 years old. He stopped aging. Like there's a contrast picture between 60 and 70 and there's literally no difference. Mm -hmm. um, like we're mistaken for brothers frequently. And my brother-in-law was like, well, you look great. What's your secret? And he was like, well, he was like, have a glass of wine every day. He was like, don't have any stress. And he was like, assume what happens is for your own good. He was like, don't mix work problems with home problems and your happy wife is a happy life. And I'm like, this guy just summed up a thousand self-help books in like 30 seconds. It's all brilliant. It was so That's simple. Great. It was like, wow, okay. I like, assume that everything happens, did you say, for a good reason? Yeah, for the best. For the best, yeah. That's, That's his it. philosophy of life. He's like, whatever happens is for your own good. Mm-hmm. And, but it was just kind of funny as if like, wow, I've done a thousand interviews, read a thousand books. And the one source of like, you know, wisdom here is literally my own dad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, summed all of that up in less than 60 seconds. He mm -hmm. got it. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, well, this actually probably was my favorite part of the book because I, you know, have been going on this endless rant about personal development and, you know, questioning it. But you say the ego's favorite hiding place is in. You're ready. Personal development workshops, self-helpers <laughs> and spiritual seekers really know how to strive and striving is classic egoing. And then you say self-helpers and spiritual seekers also uphold the values of humility, unity and compassion. It's a lot of upholding. Then there are charity donations and peace rallies and petitions. Spiritual circles are the perfect place for covert ego striving. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, that's my favorite part of the book. Um, <clears throat> I think part of it is partially because of my own sort of where I am at with all of this. Um, but it, it kind of made me want to probably take a different take than you might be thinking on this. And this is something that I have been really kind of trying to get an understanding of is why in the world do people ignore context in the role of prescriptive advice? Because, you know, when we read, for example, stories about people who are successful, it's like, follow your passion, you're in a graduation speech. Context is completely ignored in all of that. Like we don't account for, cog we don't account for context and we don't account for cognitive biases. I always tell people, I'm like, if you literally tried to reverse engineer my path and think it would lead you to where I'm at, you'd be an idiot. There were so many things that were just, you know, serendipitous along the way. I'm like, I had an amazing mentor timing. And I'm like, you know, cause literally I was like, if I were to give you the form, like, all right, get fired from every job you've had, go live with your parents until you're 38 and hope that an editor at Penguin finds your article on Medium. I was like, that is not a good strategy. <laughs> But the thing is that in that story, people will overlook all the context and only see the highlights. Mm -hmm. I think also people overlook, um, there's the 
there's the human everyday struggle that gets filtered out of the blog post and the Instagram feed. Uh, but there's the, there's a whole other dimension to take into consideration, which is someone's karma and the lessons that their soul is dispensing for them. It's like, I mean, just look at Hollywood, right? Like, um, it's success is not based on talent necessarily. Uh, I think it does have a lot to do with stamina, resilience, persistency, hard work, and that can be accessed from numerous places. You can get that from your shadow self, or you can get that from your healed, uh, loving self. Um, but there's something more going on. It's like when I decided to come to this plane, what's my growth edge? Maybe my growth edge is to learn to deal with loss and to still feel close to life. Maybe my growth edge edge is to have material success and deal with all these issues around self-worth and generosity. Like, we just don't know. You have to leave so much room up to mystery about everybody's journey, why they get what they got, why they didn't get what they wanted. So I don't, I don't spend much time anymore looking at how people succeeded. I don't think it, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And, um, I mean, of course I have lots of business conversations about, would you do that? You know, did you use that platform and what's the software and all of that kind of stuff? But, um, my success is between me and my soul. And I mean that in a really 360 degree way. It's like I could have failure in a material way or in an emotional relation, relationship way. Um, but I could be, be just becoming so deeply grounded into like purpose and meaningfulness and my strength and my capacity to love and, and what resilience really is, you know? So. I'm interested in that. No. <clears throat> well, let's talk about this idea of self, self-acceptance because you say self-acceptance will be the undoing of you, the undoing of identities that are terribly false or too narrow, even the spiritual ones or the socially applauded achieving ones. And that kind of, I mean, in a lot of ways that takes us back to the whole idea of labels, right? It, it, it's like, oh, I'm validated now by my parents because I'm not just some guy screwing around the internet. I wrote a book so my parents can go and tell their friends, oh, he's a published author, uh, mm-hmm. which is a socially applauded achieving <clears throat> identity. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you get rid of all those layers to get to this? Because I think that that's a false self-acceptance of sorts in a lot of ways because you feel like you're being self-accepted, but reality is you're mixing up self-acceptance with other people's acceptance. Yes, that's so good self-acceptance, radical self-acceptance is you're good no matter what you do. It's it's not based on any kind of performance. Whether the performance is uh, making stuff, being productive, or uh, valuable relationships, or vitality. Like It's just like, you are good, you are worthy no matter what. You don't even engage in the conversation about worthiness. It's like, of course, I'm just here. I'm here. I'm on the planet. Something greater than me is carrying me through this. I'm here for a reason. End of story, period. Good enough. Uh, how do we get there? This goes back to the, the top of our conversation. You focus on what's working. You get aspirational <laughs> about loving yourself. You focus on acceptance. And by focusing on, that's where the hard work is. I mean, really, this is self-acceptance is what's known in our space as shadow work. Self-acceptance is, um, I did this thing that I'm ashamed of. I'm going to be gentle with myself about that. I'm not even going to push away the shame. This is unconditional love. Self-acceptance is, yeah, I have this thing that really, it's, um, it really grates on people's nerves. They've told me, I, you know, I'm a bit, uh, I'm, I manipulate the conversation or I'm a bit greedy or it's, this is costing me. 
I don't like this about myself. People tell me I should be ashamed about myself, about this. Actually, I am ashamed about this. Okay, I'm going to love, I'm actually going to be gentle with this. So self-acceptance, the way you get there is we start to get friendly with all the stuff that we've been pushing away. And it gets even more challenging when society, family, circumstances being broken up with, publicly shamed, canceled, dumped, whatever it is, um, just feed that wound. That shameful thing happened. I'm going to be friendly with it. I'm going to be gentle with it. And that's that takes work because you're going to have to do that many times a day, countless times in your life. You're going to have that wincy, oof, can't believe I did that. You're going to have that contraction of like, I don't think I can get beyond this. And you are going to have a gentle tone when you talk to yourself. And you are going to say things like, what do you want to teach me? I'm here to listen. And you're going to be gentle all day long. And that's the medicine. That's where the power is. It's not about overcoming anything. It's about integrating everything. So let's talk about other people because this one really struck me and I had a funny story to share with you about this, but I shared on the show before. Um, people are where they are, despite our desire for them to be further along, more evolved, more fun, closer to our level, less intimidating, more relatable, easier to access, or just more like us. If you take the desire for someone to be different out of the equation, then you can meet them where they are and that's how to be loving. It reminded me of the story I had with my mother. Um, you know, she gets very irritated with the way people load the dishwasher. And apparently this is a very common issue because the opium Same. did an entire cartoon about this. Yes. Uh, I want to talk to your mother because we she would probably do it the same way. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, the OBL is like, if you don't load the, you know, uh, dishwasher like Jesus on Adderall, your dishwashing privileges will be revoked. So, you know, I, I'm ADD, so I tend not to basically do that. And she get, got irritated. So I'm therapy sitting with the therapist. And, you know, it's like six months later. He's like, all right, look, we've been talking about your mom a lot. He said, you can either continue to go to battle with your mom or expect her to change or accept the fact that this is how she is. And I come back and my dad was like, how is therapy? And I tell him this. He's like, yeah, I could have saved you 50 bucks and told you that. <laughs> you know? um, so I guess the, the the question then is like, why is it that we are always wanting people to be different than they are, particularly parents? I think I've, I've noticed that with we're always like, oh, I'm like, I wish you would do this and, you know, be this way. And no matter how much like I, I finally come to the terms of the fact there are things about my mom that are not going to change. And yet there are times when I will still go to battle with her because I can't take it. Mm -hmm. What part of you can't take it? Sometimes I feel like she violates boundaries. Like she doesn't have it in her world. There are no boundaries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and so why do you want her to be different? I mean, I guess for my own peace of mind, but the reality is probably I would get the peace of mind if I accepted the fact that she's not going to be. Yeah, both are true, right? Yeah. So for our own peace of mind, we don't want anybody to rock the boat. We have the mind has a very particular vision of how we want things to be. People should talk to me this way. The person I marry should look like this. The job should be this kind of filling, my fulfilling. My body should be like this. Like we have this construct. And then other humans, what do you know, come up and they're bumping against this construct of the mind. All these ideas about what perfect is or harmony is or mothering or loading the dishwasher or goodness and it's just never going to be perfect. And the more spacious we get, and by spacious, I mean, you just breathe into your heart and you just be present with like, this is happening and I'm not going to resist it. My mother is on my ass again about how to load the dishwasher. Hmm. And right there, you've like taken the charge out of the moment. And then whatever move you make next you're making the move consciously. You're making the move from your presence, your awareness, the heart intelligence, which is maybe she got a point about how to load the dishwasher. Or <laughs> you can just say, I love you, mom. This is the best I can do. How about you load the dishwasher? I'm going to peace out. How about we just door dash? Whatever it is. Um, and my experience in relationships is the less I wish for someone to change uh, 
the more they evolve, actually. The less I wish me to change, the more gentle I am with myself. Like, this is the best I am doing today. And I will often say that to myself. This is one of the most um, powerful things you can say to yourself. Did my best today. And what happens when you do that is the wound itself, that the, the ego nature, just it has nothing to grab onto today That in that moment. It's like, if you move into criticism, then the ego's like, ha, that is, I needed that food. I needed that snack of criticism to grow. And then I'll just give you more to criticize. Don't, don't feed the ego that way. Just, I did my best today. Gentleness. And then the ego worry just kind of slips off. And, you know, this is how you regulate your nervous system. Doing my best. And, and it's really important. Really, with all, you know, all declarations you make for your mind to watch the energy you have behind these statements. So <laughs> you can say, I'm doing my best. God damn it. And it's like this, you know, pushback, rebellion, proving frustration. Like I'm weak. This is the best I have. You know, victim, whatever is a range of like negative places it could come from. Or it's kind of in celebration. Like, wow, I'm doing my best. In the face of whatever's going on. Well, um, yeah. Funny enough, this is the sixth or seventh time I'm asking you this question. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. It's always interesting to see how somebody answers this question when they've been here multiple times. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What do you mean by, I don't think I've ever countered this. What do you mean by unmistakable? So the funny thing is that I had to define what I meant by unmistakable for writing a book because when I wrote the self-published version of Art of Being Unmistakable, the first thing my editor at Penguin said was, you realize you never once defined what it means to be unmistakable. And I was like, yeah, I guess that's kind of the point. But, um, it, you know, my definition is, definition is something so distinctive that nobody else could have done it but you. It's immediately recognized as something that you've done, something that you've created that you don't even have to put your name on it. Mm-hmm. That's my definition. Yes. I think our joy makes us unmistakable. And, you know, I've just come across this concept recently called Swadharma. So Dharma is your path. And this is... I wouldn't quite say it's your destiny, but like, this is, this is the way you're going to walk it. 
But swadharma is the path that only you can walk. And it's you bringing your innate talents and joys and gifts to life. And to not do that is sort of in violation of your contract you have with your soul. And I am, you know, I have, I have struggled in my life with my own, you know, to, to use your wording, my own unmistakability, like, hey, I'm, I'm good at this and I want to do this and I have a longing and a desire for this, but is it spiritual enough? Is it clear enough? Is it really what I meant to do? Is this on purpose? And now I'm, I have no doubt <laughs> that I have to, my, my joy lies in nourishing my joy. And that will be unmistakable, at least to me. And that is really all that matters at the end of the day. Hmm. Amazing. Um, well, I can't thank you enough, as always, for taking the time to join us and share your wisdom and your stories and insights well as just where can people find out more about you, uh, your book, uh, new book, and everything else you're up to? Well, How to Be Loving is out in the U.S. and Canada, and it'll soon be out in the U.K. Get it wherever you like to support independent booksellers, hopefully, or anybody. And I'm at daniellelaporte.com. I've got my heart-centered membership program, which is really a spiritual support system. We have our heart-centered leadership program, which is for coaches, facilitators, teachers, um, HR directors. We've got this beautiful curriculum on having conversations around virtue and resilience. And I tend to hang out a lot on Instagram. Mm, amazing. And for everybody listening, we wrap the show with that. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.